handle the truth. Should we or should we not follow the advice of the galactically stupid? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You know why? You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. Clearly, don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skyler. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. to another episode of the Righteous Prick Podcast. I am your host, J.L. Covan. It is 10 a.m. Do you know where your children are? Probably at school. Uh, April 11th in the year of our Lord, 2022. We're making this a normal podcast episode because we, we have to stop spoiling the uh, dozens and dozens of people who listen to this podcast because J.L. Max Plus, JL Max Plus Prime arrives in, uh, you know, under three weeks and the first book review episodes are up i'm very happy that in the intro segment alone is hilarious um i have fully cast i had to rewrite the exorcist joel osteen sketch but it has been uh, fully cast that will be filmed on uh, april 22nd you know a little birthday present to myself that i'll be done with the first sketch and one that's been a long time coming um and then the next day, April 23rd, I will be uh, powdering up my hair, putting on the gamer headset, and doing the first episode of Mike Pence Gaming. Uh, a little spoiler just for you guys who listen to the show, it'll be MLB The Show 22. The episode will be Mike Pence creating his own player on a baseball game. So expect a lot of uh, muscles and bat and ball puns, but... Uh, I'm excited. And then uh, I have to still figure out what the first bonus episode will be. I have some people that I may inquire if they'd be willing to be guests on the show, uh, big and small. And, uh, you know, so that'll be, uh, like I said, probably be like a couple bonus episodes of of this podcast each month. But, you know, now I have to stop spoiling you. And when I have a, a thought, I just have to make it a bonus to encourage. And like I said, Four bucks. I think four bucks for what I'm doing. Like I said, there's there's a good chance that my Patreon channel will be a break-even enterprise, if not a, a, a money loser. I hope not, of course, but 
So by charging $4, this is, I'm really trying to find the right price point to get as many as of, of my fans to, to jump in. Um, you know, because obviously I have a, a large reach when Twitter is not fucking me over. And, you know, the, the goal would be to have the most fans subscribed for the least amount of money, not to have like, hey, there's a $20 tier. Cool. Nine people did that. So I'm gouging like my hardest, my hardcore fans. I'd like the casuals, the hardcore to just sort of say, yeah, I'll try this. And oh, wow, it's his really enjoyable stuff. I'm glad I'm getting more of his uh, material. So, and then the, the other level will probably be a $7 level. That will be once I figure out what kind of monthly or bi-monthly um, sort of live interaction content. Uh, it, it might just simply start as a chat, hangout, Q&A, feedback kind of live episode. Um, but then I'd like to maybe turn it into some Zoom shows or some Zoom sketches or some Q&As with different impressions. You know, fun, fun stuff that people who like my stuff will, will engage with. But obviously at 7 bucks, I don't want to go higher than that. Um, for the highest level, because once I, once again, if I can only get a hundred people to sign up for this or less, I'm, I, I probably won't stick with it because my vision for it is to make it, you know, a real, uh, you know, a real thing, like like a lot of good stuff. Um, but if good things happen and maybe the special picks up or whatever, whatever, something, something happens for me that that increases my reach, you know. Hey, look at that! If 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 a year from now I've got a a thousand people at four bucks or 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 eight hundred at four bucks and a hundred and ten at seven bucks, then I go okay. It's 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 more than paying for itself. It's a it's a decent motivation and revenue stream. So anyway, you get the point. But that is April twenty eighth. Mark your calendars if you haven't already. Four bucks. Lots of good stuff. And 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 when it launches, you'll have the first book review, the first bonus podcast. You'll have hopefully the Joel Osteen sketch that will be like only for your eyes only until I make it public. Like I said before, sketches like that, you'll get early access. You won't get exclusive access. Stuff like Mike Pence Gaming and the book reviews and bonus podcasts, that'll be exclusive. But even for the stuff that's not exclusive, you'll get, uh, you know, early access. So overall, I think more... (laughs) more than generous uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the going rate for Patreon content. Like, I I still, you know, I'm very grateful to all the people who are Patreon supporters of Making Podcasts Great Again, but we really, like, and by we, I mean mostly me, do a, a pretty good amount of bonus stuff, considering that the videos alone that I've made exclusive each month for the last, like, year and a half on our Patreon probably would have made me, like, between two and three grand on YouTube if I had just posted them to my own channel. Um, so, point being, um, I, I'm not looking to lose money anymore, but I do want to reward fans, but I'm just hoping that, you know, it's it's really, the, it's a numbers game. It's the more fans that join up, the, the, the cheaper it can be, and the better for everybody. Um, and the fewer fans, I'm not going to be somebody who's like, hey, there's a new $15 tier, which is called the pity me because my career sucks tier. Um, I won't do that. I would just cancel it like, you know, in the fall, um, if it's just not generating what, what I'd like it to generate, but hopefully it does. Hopefully, uh, that price point, uh, is enough to entice people. Okay. Enough with business. Let's talk more business shows, folks, shows, lots of shows, all ticket links available. We're a month away from the special and I've sold 29 tickets. Um, I'll, I, 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 I'm, 
whatever. I mean, we did good on the first one, but obviously that one is uh, just going to be an album. That's not actually going to be the special. So this one's important. Um, obviously, you know, most of my friends and fans just sort of uh, say, I'll eventually get to it. Um, so I get to stress and bite my nails and, uh, you know, for, for, for every day that this approaches. because And because there's going to be a lot of people that I'm mad at, but none more than the people who fucked up the recording. Because it's like, we already had this. I should be retired from comedy or moving on to a new level of success in comedy. But this redo, you know, this, this Greek tragedy of, of reliving the most tense moment of my career again, uh, not something I wanted to do. But... For the life of me, I will. I just won't understand um, how uh, I can sell triple-digit tickets in cities where I'm not from, and in my hometown and the biggest market in the country, and presumably where I have a lot of fans. Just just by by volume, not not by percentage, but by volume. And I can't sell tickets. I can't sell fucking tickets. Um, it's it's embarrassing. It's it's a little angering, but. You know, like Michael Jordan using every slight uh, to fuel him. You know, I I sometimes in my weaker, more um, uh, angry phases pray for like, uh, you know, I hope I get the success that I want so that I can, you know, just stop begging people who, uh, you know, whatever. But the point is, buy tickets, don't buy tickets. But I'm just, New York is a particularly like, Hurt, hurt is a little weird, but it's it's it is depressing. It's like other cities. I don't you don't. I joke about not selling tickets in other cities, but when it's your hometown of eight million people, and you can't sell tickets, that's it's just, you know, it it it's weird. I guess is the way like uh you know uh, somebody might say it who doesn't want to say hurtful, but yeah, whatever. Twenty nine. Fuck it. You know, obvious. And the truth is. You guys know me from listening to this podcast. Honestly, if I only sold 29 tickets to my special, I, it would be like a badge of honor because keep my enemies closer. As Rich Voss said when he heard clips from that album on Sirius, it's really funny stuff. It sounded like nobody was there, but the shit was funny. Um, once again, one of the many things I would have put on my tombstone um, when, when, when I leave this earth would be uh, really funny. Nobody, nobody seemed to be there, but the shit was funny. Uh in a weird way, it would probably be on brand if, if I, you know, because of 29 people, I don't even get paid by the ven- the venue. So I would actually, when I have to pay, when I pay Pete Dominic for opening for me, the, the funny thing about that would be I would lose money on my special taping, which we can all agree is sort of, it wouldn't get more on brand than that. Um, but it's just, I don't even get paid by the venue um, if I don't reach like a minimum amount of tickets, which would also be funny in a in a very dark depressing way um and i'm sure some of you i'm sure many of you or some of you will get buy tickets now or eventually um but it is just one of those things where you you, you it never the humbling the humbling never stops in comedy um it seems so uh yeah may 14th special new york city i will i will make lemonade out of lemons so if i sell out beautiful if i sell five more tickets and have a two-thirds empty room, I will uh, embrace that and own it um, in an honest way that other comedians uh, totally lie about all the time. Um, but it's just weird that I don't have stand-up comedy fans um, That's that's that I didn't even accidentally pick up 
tens of thousands of stand-up fans when I was picking up hundreds of thousands of fans, like just by accident that I didn't get like more stand-up fans. Uh, but the ones that, that are real fans, they're the realest. So I do appreciate them and they're probably tired of hearing me whine. So other than the New York special taping May 14th, tickets on sale now at jlcomedy.com slash calendar. Um, Buffalo, Helium, uh, April 26th. Uh, Washington, D.C., folks. One of my one of my best cities in the country, if not my best. Washington, D.C., April 29th. That's a Friday, folks. Um, downtown D.C. at a place called Baby Wale or Whale. It's spelled Wale, like the D.C.-based rapper. Um, but however you pronounce it, that's where I'll be. Uh, ticket link and info on my website. A- April 30th, I will be in Culpeper. Only one P in the in the in the second P part of Culpeper. Everybody's corrected me. So th- then, is it Culpeper? And I'm gonna probably lead off with that joke, and it's probably hacky, but I don't care. It's my truth. Um, Culpeper, Virginia, April 30th. Uh, once again, info on my website. Um, May 14th, like I said, the special. And then July 15th, Boston, folks. Get those tickets now. Two shows. Friday night, Boston. If we sold 150 tickets on a Monday night last July, I would hope we could sell 160 tickets uh, on a Friday night in July. So once again, testing the... Testing my fans. Isn't that fun? Isn't that a fun experience, everybody? Not really. So those are the shows. And then the career fall goes off a cliff. It's it's an abyss after that because a lot will depend on, do I have an agent? Well, the, the big three, guys, the big three. We, we're familiar with the big three right now. Does JL have an agent? Did JL's special sell? Did JL get cast on season seven of Billions? These are the big three questions. All three long shots. All three were hopeful for, but not expecting. Um, and, you know, by the time I go to Boston, that July 15th, that's when I get my quarterly bonus from work. Is it in a, Literally on that day, my quarterly bonus and regular paycheck. I go to Boston for a nice weekend of um, the N-word without the hard R, just not because they don't want to say it, but because they can't. And Boston clam chowder and the Red Sox are playing the Yankees in New York, which is also on brand for me. I would have gone to Fenway to see them play to, to see the Red Sox play anybody just to be in the iconic stadium. But as it turns out, they're not home that weekend. And in a further irony, they're playing my team in my hometown. So won't be going to a Red Sox game, but we'll be having, uh, you know, we'll be parking cars in Harvard Yard and doing great comedy and um, probably eating at Dunkin' Donuts because when in Rome, and seeing fans and friends and um, just 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 assessing my career because at that point I want to be at a point where I either say okay it's been a good run comedy or it's been a good run law firm, and now I have to write some scripts and continue working on my abdominal muscles for this new action movie I'm going to be in, and all other pipe dreams that float into my head randomly. So. Hopefully you can get tickets to some or all of those things, and uh, great. And uh, also, I had a show in Long Island, which I was—I felt like I like writing the recap blogs, so I could talk about it here, but it'd only take you like six minutes to read, maybe less if you're, you're just five minutes, to read my recap of my gig in Long Island, because Saturday, as I dubbed it in the blog title, was this the 12, best 12-hour stretch of my entire career? Um, I went to Long Island into deep MAGA territory. And when I say deep, I'm not just talking everybody loves Trump. I'm talking it's a 
it's a hard it's a hardcore Marjorie Taylor Green vibe. Um, like when I told a joke about a dude at Dunkin' Donuts not getting the booster shot, a couple people chuckled and a couple people didn't. And I'm giving you guys a trade secret that I've developed to deal with MAGA people because what the gig was, what the gig was, it wasn't the greatest I've ever been on stage, but it was one of the greatest shows I've ever had because I won this crowd without capitulating or ceding any ground. I was like, yeah, I'm a Biden voter. So what? Yeah, let's go, Brandon. And then I went into my let's go, Brandon bit that had them rolling where I was like, he's just an old man. If you don't think he's a good president, so be it. But he, if he wasn't president, you know what he'd be doing? He'd be in the park feeding pigeons with Jill, talking, telling some story to some kid walking by. And it'd be really weird if that kid then kicked him in the chest and said, fuck you, Brandon. Like the anger is disproportionate. They laughed and I really, I won over a crowd sold merch at a decent clip like of ma of majority hardcore maga people and it just felt like a testament to my like i felt pride in that i was able to be me and win over people with skill and one of my tricks of the trade, which I didn't want to put in the blog, but this is just a, an exclusive for listeners. Not afraid of giving away the things that make him a good comedian. Um, as soon as I feel a right-wing crowd tighten up, I accuse them of being like the left. And that's like telling a guy... That's like in the movie where the guy who's not fucking his wife, and she's like, what are you... A f Pardon my language. What are you, an F-word? And... <laughs> and he's like I'm not I'm not I'll show you and then he like murders his wife to prove his masculinity um or like an American Beauty thing where he kisses Kevin Spacey and Kevin Spacey rejects it like uh, I'm not gay and then the dude kills the gay guy because he hates himself so much that's basically what I do comedically I American Beauty the MAGA crowd so when I say something about uh, the Dunkin' Donuts employee not getting that boosted, so he had to drop out of college. And I go, mm, I think if it was between a college degree and the booster shot, maybe you should have gotten the fucking booster. And then, like, some people chuckle, and a lot of people go, hey, Mike Vexing. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize I offended you. Oh, I guess it's it's only bad when lib snowflakes don't like jokes, but but you guys, it's okay for you to go, like mm -hmm. you know, and that really hit hit a nerve. And then you turn the dynamic into like, well, he's kind of right. Like, I mean, do we want to be who? Do we want to be what we hate? No. Then let's let's just enjoy it. And it really worked. It worked. And I I continually came back to them, and they loved the Trump impression. At one point, I said, you know, I'm actually I didn't vote for Jesus Christ. I mean Donald Trump. I'm sorry, I get those two confused. But they were with me by then. Like, I brought them along. And I told this group of MAGA dudes after we had a real discussion on comedy, which I'm always, you know, comedy, I'll admit, in regular spaces, I don't really want to talk to you if you're MAGA. I don't, I don't respect that point of view. I, I think uh, there's, there's a lot of bad reasons to be affiliated with that movement. But in a comedy space, I'm a sucker, like... You know, I've dated one or two horrible women that I, you know, enjoy being with in certain ways. And uh, biblically, of course, I say that as a Christian. But 
uh, and I'm not a, I'm a Catholic. I don't, I don't say Christian. I'm a like it just Catholic sounds just more like, yeah, I, I like old timey shit and I'm a little, little miserable. I'm a Catholic. Christian sounds like it's too all encompassing and then just, eh. anyway, but no offense if you're a Christian. Um, I just, as I said, on, and I will say in the special, I said, um, you know, I like church, but I like it old school. If, if, if you close your eyes and raise your hand and wave back and forth during, ma- during church services, uh, you've gone too far for me. Um, but, I, uh, but comedy is one of those places where I just kind of go, and it's probably foolish of me, of course, like, like a Biden-esque foolishness. But I think if I can make you laugh... Then, then I believe that maybe I can talk to you. And I know that's a, that's a self-serving weird thing, and it's probably not true, but I, 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 that's how I feel, even if it's intellectually incorrect. I feel that way. And I talked to these guys for a while about comedy, and I, I said my opinion on comedy is if I disagree with you on this and that, but, but what I've seen is too often we only blame the left for not taking a joke, and I do think they are worse at it, but they are, it is not the exclusive province of the left to not laugh at themselves. And I said, I've run into some crowds where they don't laugh, but I've also run into crowds like Harrisburg, Pennsylvania and, and Bohemia, Long Island, where, you know what? Most of the people, because I'm good also, if I was a shit comedian, I probably couldn't get them on my side or at least putting aside differences to laugh, but I'm really good. So I get them to do that. But, um, You know, I do think comedy, I I say comedy has to be, I think it should be a place where you you go in and it's like two warring parties enter a place to to have peace negotiations. You don't shoot the guy at the table. You can fucking hate him in a a manner of speaking when you leave. But in the comedy club, there's there's a there's a there's a. There should be, there's like an agreement. There should be an agreement. And I, I, I mean, I was giving these guys like a 40 minute podcast lecture, but I think they, they enjoyed it because they liked the perspective. But the two things I said after that was, um, you know, they brought up Eddie Murphy. Like we used to recite Eddie Murphy's uh, Delirious and you couldn't do that now. And I said, but here's the thing. Here's what I think. If you did stuff that was generally considered okay in 1982 or 1995 or whatever, you judged, juried, and executed by 2022 standards. By the same token, Eddie Murphy himself, and I said this to the guy, Eddie Murphy himself has said, I wouldn't say those things today. And he didn't say it, and I wanted to be clear to them. He didn't say it because it was like, we're too woke. He said, no, I don't like those. I think times change, our sensibilities evolve, and some of the things I said, I don't like that I said them. It's not just, I couldn't say them because I'm a victim. It was like, no, I, I couldn't say them because I don't think they'd be right. To say today, and that's the difference, and that's I think that that's where I wish we could mostly come together, at least on art. Admit that some things weren't okay, that some things that were okay in the past aren't okay anymore, and that's evolving and changing isn't a good thing. And at the same time, we shouldn't be judging and condemning on modern standards what what was okay back then. You can say it's not okay, but you can't say like, I can't believe in 1987 you said that. Well, I know it wasn't. I know it's not right now, but I was a different person. Times were different, and and so be it. And I'm talking in art spaces. I'm not talking about like violence or hate crimes. Of course, I'm talking about in in, in creative spaces. And 
you know, so that was, I, I, it was honestly like kind of a, you know, and I, I always joke with the MAGA people, you know, maybe it's just me having my own ego, but I say, eh, and the next time you want to say, let's go, Brandon, that you think, remember, remember the lib cuck comedian that was kind of cool and, and, and talked with you and maybe don't say it because maybe, maybe it's ridiculous <laughs> and maybe, maybe check yourself one time and think, eh, is, is this all bad or is this, is this how I should be approaching this? And I'm sure 99.9% never do, but maybe they go, eh, I, like, I kind of like that comedian. Like they're not, even if it becomes one of those that in their delusion or whatever, they go, oh, they're not all bad. Hey, that's better than nothing. It's, all, it's barely better than nothing, but it's better than nothing. Um, but it was, uh, I had one other thing to say about the show and I, I sort of forgot, but, but the write-up is, is, is a must read. I'm, I'm telling you, it's a, like, because I had like the greatest Saturday of my life in a weird way. Not the greatest. Okay. Not the greatest. Like maybe, you know, uh, there were probably like springs in college where I was just lounging with my college girlfriend and those Saturdays were probably better, but you get what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> now I'm just a fucking fat old middle-aged fuck, but, um, I'm not fat by the way. How dare you? But, uh, there was one other thing that happened, but I, but, but I met a, I, it was just, I felt very accomplished and that whole day was great. I, I got retweeted by Cory Booker and my impression of Cory Booker went kind of a little viral because of Cory Booker. Um, so just read that blog. It's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a really fun one. It was fun to write because it was, um, incredibly and uncharacteristically positive. Um, and I even felt good most of Sunday. And I said, well, I can't do a podcast today because I still feel good. Let's see if another night's sleep wears that off. And as you can hear from my depression over ticket sales to my special, we're back to normal. So you're welcome, Righteous Prick listeners. Um, a couple of recommendations of stuff I'm, I'm watching right now, and then I'll let you get out of here. Uh, I'm trying to think, what was the other thing about the show? But I'm just telling you, read the blog. If you do anything, it's the most recent blog on the blog page of my podcast, of my website. But you will, uh, you'll enjoy it because it, it involves a lot of different things in the span of 12 hours and all of them super positive. Um, so after that, the, the, the few things I'm, I'm enjoying right now watching, uh, I'm really loving the Lakers series uh, on, on Showtime, win, uh, on, excuse me, HBO, uh, Winning Time. I, I, it's... It's if, if I canceled HBO, so I have HBO Max, but it's approaching that level of a show where I'm like, like Succession or Game of Thrones, where it's like, oh, I'm watching, I'm starting this at 9.01. Like I just, not because I'm afraid of spoilers, just because I want to watch it. Like I want to watch it when it's available, but I'm really enjoying winning time a lot. So if you're a, I don't know, there's not a ton of hoops action, but you know, I, I think it would help obviously if you're a sports fan. Um, but uh, another show that I'm watching because um, I'm, I'm still trying to catch up on everything I know. Everybody says Severance on Apple is really good. I'm going to start the dropout soon. I still have to watch Queen's Gambit. I think that's the oldest show on my roster right now, so that's going to get done. And then May 1st, I've made a pledge to a, a, a good friend that I will, be, I will officially begin Gamora on HBO Max. So I have until May 1st to get as many of these limited series, etc. in uh, until... Um, until I begin Gamora, which is five seasons, 12 episodes each. So that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a spring summer, I think, um, marathon. But I finally began a show called Big Sky, 
which I wanted to watch for a while. It's in, it's finishing up, I think, this this week. It's finishing up its second season. Um, the first season was 16 episodes, so if the second season is also 16 episodes, it, it should end this week. Um, but I wanted to watch this show for a while, just to give it a try. With I didn't even know what it was about. But it was from David E. Kelly, who is a sort of TV writing legend, uh, from Doogie Howser to Big Little Lies and a ton of shit in between and after. Um, married to Michelle Pfeiffer since like 93. So he got in there at peak, pretty much peak Michelle Pfeiffer, like right after, right after Batman returns, he just got up in that cat suit and was like, locked it down. Um, but he's written a lot of good stuff. Not, not everything, but, but the practice, Ally McBeal, like I said, Doogie Howser, big little lies. Um, so, so major TV guy. So I was like, okay, but, but if I'd be lying, that was like, that was the, the Playboy, I read it for the articles justification for me reading, watching the show or giving the show a try. But I added it to the Hulu list like a year ago. Um, uh, and I finally started it like a week and a half ago. But the two leads who are featured on the poster for the show, the two leads are the blonde woman from Vikings. Now, I didn't finish Vikings. I made it through about five seasons. But when, spoiler, uh, Ragnar, Thru- what was his name? Th- what was his name? Um, Thor, whatever. I don't know what the fuck. I forget the guy's name already, but but because it's been a while since I watched it. But the main guy dies, and then his kids take over. And apparently the, the show was, like, in broad strokes accurate to the history of the Vikings, which I don't know anything about. But I sort of lost a little bit of interest once the main guy died, and it became, like, a war between his sons. But she plays the wife of, what is it, Ragnar? Ragnar? What a, I'm sure people who listen to who watched Vikings are like, dude, it's Ragnar Thargonok. Just fucking say it, JL. But I, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but uh, but I remember when like a new season of Vikings was premiering when I was still watching it like live. Um, they did like a behind the scene, like a like hey, and a quick like. In, like a pre pre a live pre show with the with the stars of the show, and the blonde woman, um, the wife on the show is it was beautiful on the show. But then when you just saw her in studio, like a like a regular woman at a costume and shit, I was like, oh my god, holy shit, just so fucking pretty, just so like uh, like, and I was like, oh man, shit. Uh, yeah, it was one of those. It was like, oh, fuck, you're pretty. Like, I'm fucking pissed. <laughs> and, okay, so that's one of the women on the poster. And then, and if I were just to name my, like, big four of TV in the last 20 years, and I could be forgetting somebody, and I want to give due respect to Julie Louis-Dreyfus, who's uh, a billionaireess, uh, beautiful, and super talented, so she she gets her own little category. But, and she follows me on Twitter. <clears throat> but... Uh, a big four, I think, for me would be Joan from Mad Men, uh, Alexandria Daddario of uh, The White Lotus, and much more importantly, True Detective Season 1. And then the chick from Vikings, and the last woman I'm about to name. So two of the, two of my Mount Rushmore of women I'd like to mount from TV are on this show. And it's written by David E. Kelly, uh, a writing legend in Hollywood. So, of course, that's the real reason. 
but the other woman was the lead in the in the show Pitch, which I talked about, I think, before this current iteration of the podcast, because that was a show I was watching in its one season when I still lived in Manhattan. So that's at least 2019, if not earlier. But it was a show about a, a woman who gets to pitch in the major leagues. And it's a little bit of a gimmick, but yeah, because she can throw in like the 80s. And she's, but it was like this woman played the pitcher. And the real, the real star of the show, other than this woman, was Mark Paul Gossler, who I genuinely thought could have been nominated for an Emmy with how good he was as like the grizzled veteran catcher for the team. He was legitimately excellent. And I don't know why the show failed. I think they, I forget when they aired it, but I was like, shouldn't you have aired this like either right after baseball season or right before baseball? Like it's some, something to tie in to baseball so that you could be promoting it every third night when you have a baseball game on your networks. But it, it flopped and it was so good. It really was. And she, I was just like, look at this model, but like real model, not like runway, she might have been a model or a runway model, but, but like a closer to a Victoria's Secrets model than, a, than a, like a runway model. But beautiful, beautiful. And these two women show up on the poster for Big Sky. And I was just like, well, I'm going to have to watch that. And I started it, and I'm eight episodes into season one, and I love it. It's got a great pilot episode, and I will say no more than that. But the pilot, I was watching it going, okay, this is pretty good. I'll keep watching. And then the end of the pilot episode, I was like, fuck. And I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. It's, it's some good network TV. I don't want, like a lot of people, I think, our age and younger, I don't watch a ton of network TV. But it, it does feel sort of old schoolish and nice to be like, well, between This Is Us, Young Rock, uh, Abbott Elementary, Blackish, and Big Sky... Look at that! I got five network shows now that I'm watching, uh, so it's it's good. They're they're they're. I don't know if they'll ever catch up to the streaming platforms, but it's it's good to see that maybe uh, the competition, maybe they've 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 started uh, making stuff that's more my speed. But um, yeah, Big Sky, really good. Big fan of Big Sky, and uh, yeah, those two women are just. Whew. Uh, yeah, it's like a. It's, it's like a black and white cookie for the eyes and the loins. <laughs> but I'm serious. They're so, they are so, and I have an old joke. An old joke. How about this for newer fans? Here's one of my old jokes. And I used to tell it on stage, but it, I, I don't believe it's on an album. But I, I just got into Dave Chappelle voice. No, I, um, when I did uh, The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson way back, Jesus Christ, 20, 2007, isn't, it'll be 15 years in October. That is so frightening that it took me this long to get any fans. <laughs> no, um, I was doing the show, and the guests on the show that night were Chai, I think it's Chai, it might be Chi, but Chai McBride, who was who's an actor you might recognize from different things, but uh, at the time... There was a show, an overdramatic uh, high school drama on Fox called Boston Public, and he was the principal on the show, so he was there promoting that. And Terry Polo, 
who was uh, the woman who played Ben Stiller's wife in the Meet the Parents movies. And I believe it was 2007, so that was probably the third Meet the Parents. I think she was there promoting whatever it was. There was Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, and then the third one. And uh, I only own the first one, which is one of my favorite comedies ever, but I'll leave it at that. Um, I was very excited when they added uh, Dustin Hoffman and Barbara Streisand to the second one, but then I was like, eh, it's it's overkill. And then I don't even remember the third one. Um, But... The point is, I think that's what she was there promoting. <clears throat> and I had always thought when I saw her in the movies, I was like, oh, she's nice looking. But she's like a good match for Ben Stiller, who's like a nice looking regular guy. And then I saw her in person, probably like 20 feet away. And she was pregnant at the time, so she and she had TV makeup on. But I looked at this woman. And you got to understand, if you go watch my Ferguson clip, this was no insecure JL. This was... Uh, ripped abs, cut up arms, chiseled jaw, people saying I looked like The Rock, getting in in a fight with my ex-fiance when I returned back from L.A. because women were telling me on MySpace uh, that I was super funny and she was getting mad and telling me I didn't actually have any fans. And I was like, well, that seems mean considering I was just on national TV doing comedy. That would be the way you get fans. Um, And meanwhile, she was getting mad at me while her legal mentor was uh, literally asking her to fuck uh, while I was in Los Angeles achieving a career dream. But I was the wrong party. Not bitter at all. And I could share the if I shared the identity of the legal mentor, it would be hilarious on a cosmic level. And that's all I'll say, because. Um, I don't identify mob lawyers by name on this podcast. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the point is, um, I saw this woman, Terry Polo, and she was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen in person. And I was stunned. I was just like, "Oh, oh my God, I've never been in a room next to a woman that looks this beautiful. That's what the fuck? And the joke began, that's when I knew, folks, I couldn't move to L.A. Because if that's how good Terry Polo looks uh, in person, I might just come in my pants if I ever see Kathy Bates in person. And this was, I think, around the time, like, About Schmidt was out. No, that was earlier. That was earlier, but people were still traumatized from About Schmidt. Um, But the point being, ha, 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 if everybody in person has this ridiculous glow up, from what you just kind of expect with everybody being nice looking in movies, then holy shit. And I say that because if I ever saw either of the women in person from Big Sky, I, th- I think, you know, their spontaneous combustion, I think it would be spontaneous nut combustion. Okay, and I say that with all due respect. And I know I just lost any opportunity to ever work with either of them because of that. But you know what? It's called honesty and it's called integrity. And I shared that in a spirit of truth and openness. Okay. And that is my truth that if I were in a room with either of them, I would have to go, sorry, I need to go back home and change my pants. But um, we'll run lines later after I've uh, beaten my meat into submission until it is basically a useless appendage like Madison Cawthorn's legs. That's what I will have to do out of respect for the craft, for the show, for the entertainment business, and to not not be involuntarily me too'd. 
Like I would be sitting there going, no, no, I don't. I'm not. And it's like, um, you have an erection, sir. And it's like, well, you know what? I also have a heartbeat, ma'am. Okay, my lungs are taking in oxygen. Are you gonna sue me for that as well? So just, you know, I'm just, you know, working with my publicist, Ron Reagan Jr. right now uh, to, to, to map out strategies to not get sued or lose jobs in Hollywood. Not afraid of admitting the premeditated sexual harassment if it's involuntary. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so... <laughs> Anywho, guys, the point of that is I recommend Big Sky. <laughs> uh, and if they announce on season three, because I know Joan from Mad Men, her show got, I think, canceled from NBC. Let me just tell you something. If they announce season three special guest star, big tit redhead from Mad Men, well, then I'm just going to start stalking uh, wherever they film that show. And I'll be like... Any chance Alexandria Daddario is going to be cast on this show so I can just literally watch you guys shoot and auto-erotic asphyxiate myself to death? Is that, a, is, is that a possibility? You know, you can't, it can't, can't be sexual harassment if I, if I die during it, right? Because that, that penalty certainly covers any and all lawsuits and criminal activity. So the point is, guys, I recommend Big Sky. I also recommend you go look up my Craig Ferguson clip um because that's always been the goal i'll never look that young again and i actually wrote this down in a in a in a notebook for a future book or script but i i thought to myself and i don't know if i said this to you guys on on this podcast i don't think i did but i'll leave you with this profound note the reason i think i still do comedy still and i said still twice weird the reason i still do comedy and the reason i still can find that hope and days like saturday really reinvigorate me to be honest but I think it's because I realize that no matter how hard I work out right now and diet, I'm probably never going to be as strong as I was when I was like 30. I think that was when I was like my strongest because I was, I was very strong in college. And then I went through like, you know, you start working, law school, you go up and down. But then I really got back into shape around 30. I'm never going to be as probably good looking or young looking. Well, definitely not young looking, but not as good looking as I was when I was in my late 20s, when I was on Ferguson. When I was in that peak physical shape, but still youthful looking and, and et cetera. Okay. Um, there's all sorts of things that I will probably never do as well as I did in my teens or 20s or even early 30s. But comedy is that one thing that I keep getting better at. Like I'm better at comedy today than I was four years ago. And I'm exponentially better than I was 10 years ago. And I am light years better than I was when I started. And until I go through cognitive decline or um, stop keeping up with the Joneses in terms of material and, and, and what's, what, what, how to approach the art of comedy or till what I do becomes out of style, I'm going to keep getting better. And it's, it's, like that's, it's just a little bit of hope in a hopeless world, I think, and a hopeless and, a, and, a, and in a life trajectory that, you know, eventually scales down. Like I, I, when I was in mass yesterday... I sometimes think of it, I saw this old guy, just just an old white guy, but he looked like he was like 90, and he had big baggy eyes and gray skin, and he was just you know didn't need a cane or anything, but he was walking slow and a little hunched over, just but very normal things that happen when you're 90, and I just thought, man, life is tough, and not in a pitiful way. 
it's nice that he's alive. I bet if, if he has a family, they're probably very happy he's still around and he's, he's still getting up and around. And that's that's kind of the best you can hope for. It's like, oh, look at him. He's going to church. He doesn't need a cane or a walker or a wheelchair. What, what else? You know, at some point, that those become the victories you can achieve late in life. But comedy, as you start to see, eh, I had knee surgery. Eh, I look more tired. I'm not sleeping as well. I'm stressed. Eh, still got still to gotta work a little bit of this gut off. Ah, job stressful. Job doesn't seem to have like, uh, I seem to have hit a ceiling in my legal career with sort of by design, but still. But comedy, for all the bitching, complaining, moaning, and hate that I have for this business and for what feels like specifically unfair treatment, at its core, it is optimism because it is, the, is one of the few things, if not the only thing in my life that I look at and say, I can keep getting better. It can keep getting better, not worse, not deteriorating. I haven't peaked yet. As long as I keep doing it, I have a new peak to achieve. And I think that's probably why I keep doing it, which is, which is weird because there's so many things making me want to quit. But that, I think that is a, a, a very true statement that, that when I just sort of sit in my own thoughts, which I do often, um, and I think about... Uh, why I still do comedy. I think it is, it is that rare opportunity to do something in your life where you can keep getting better. And it, when, when everything seems to be trending down, you, I can look to comedy and go, whether or not my career is going in the right direction, my skills are. They're still going in the right direction. And that's why Half Blackface is going to be the best thing I ever do. Till now. And then it becomes a question of, hey, is that how I want to end my career? Maybe, if that's, what, if that's what it takes for me to be happy. But it also gives me a sign that like, wow, I thought Keep My Enemies Closer was my best work. That was 2013. Then I did Thoughts and Prayers in 2018. Seemed to expand. Then I became a content machine in 2020, 2021, and 2022, developing new skills, rapid fire skills, character skills, more impressions. And then I put out this special that's my best ever. And from an artistic standpoint, it's like, well, why would I want to quit? I want to, I want to see if I can beat that. And, and all indicators seem to say, that's, that's in your wheelhouse. That is a possibility. But if, I, you know, so, so it, is, it is that which gives me, uh, I think, hope. And, and for anybody who listens to this podcast often enough and goes, I wonder why he still does it. I mean, he's good, but I, I think that's why I still do it. And that's why there's always hope that I won't quit. Um, but on that note... Buy some fucking tickets to see me perform. Okay? <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you guys um, uh, for listening. I hope you have a, a good week, a safe week, a healthy week. Um, check out Making Podcasts Great Again. If, if you're not, uh, we're still clicking on that. We've, we've gotten some new sponsors for the show, so that's great that, 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 that there's, there's still economic growth on that podcast. Um, and like I said, JL Max Plus Prime, live shows, uh, treat yourself for my birthday, order a cameo for a loved one. I swear you will, you will not be disappointed. Um, buy some of my albums, uh, or donate to Hope for Haiti. The, the show notes from last week have the link to my page for Hope for Haiti. So if you only have a few bucks to spare, uh, you know, I will, I will treat a donation to Hope for Haiti for, through my page as a, as a very kind present for me. But if you have more money, donate and then buy some of my shit. How about that? So uh, 
Thanks, everybody. And uh, is there anything else to talk about? Nope, that's it. See you next Tuesday. Uh,